Welcome to Citizens Midweek. It's a podcast for our church family in Charlotte, North Carolina, where we take a deeper look at each week's sermon. I'm your host, Jacob, joined by our pastor and friend, Tim Olson. Here we go. This week we wrapped up Ruth. Um, Starting next week we'll be looking at Advent. But for this week's sermon, um, the question that we answered was, will we trust God to save us? Um, So we've asked ourselves a question each week so far. Those questions have been, will we trust God when we suffer? Will we trust God when we prosper? Will we trust God in the middle? And now finally, will we trust God to save us? So... Um, just kind of looking at the 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 wrapping up of the of the story between Ruth and Boaz, where Boaz is finally kind of fulfills his role as Ruth and Naomi's kinsman redeemer when he steps forward to kind of do what was introduced in chapter three, which is to redeem Naomi on behalf of their family. We talked about the kinsman redeemer a bit last week, and you guys can go back and listen to the sermon if you've got any questions about that. But um, basically, we looked at kind of the responses of all the players throughout this process of you know what it looks like to be to be redeemed and. Um, Ultimately, we just see the picture of the fact that throughout this whole story, throughout this whole narrative, that um, it's been overwhelmingly clear that God has been faithful to Naomi, to Ruth, to Boaz, that um, God's been really faithful in redeeming Naomi despite all of her suffering and hardship and despite kind of what Ruth has been brought along for. And it's just been a really cool picture of God's faithfulness to us to finally kind of see the culmination of that. I think the part that stood out to me the most is just a good reminder, just because it's really, I think, sweet. Um, just a really sweet reminder that... Um, we took a second to look at the genealogy of Jesus and just kind of chart the fact that um, Jesus comes from the line of Ruth and Boaz. So like with this story that we're reading that feels sometimes a little bit um, like a one-off in scripture, it actually is connected directly to the story of Jesus because, you know, Ruth and Boaz at the end of the story, they, you know, they end up together and, and their children's 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 children, right. Eventually produce um, Jesus himself. So just thought that was a sweet reminder that, um, you know, the way that God is redeeming Naomi and Ruth is actually shaping up the way he's redeeming all of us. Um, and it's maybe poetic because we're starting Advent next week. So like just thinking about the coming of Jesus next week by hinting at the coming of Jesus this week. I thought that was really cool. What about you, Tim? What stood out to you while you were preparing for this week's sermon? Yeah, obviously, uh, just the the deep meaning behind the, you know, Mr. So-and-so handing his sandal to Boaz and just all the theological implications of just that was a joke. Ha 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 ha. I think what stood out to me the most was, uh, I mean, a lot of stuff we talked about with the Matthew one and the genealogy and uh, just God, you know, creating uh, really by whatever means necessary. I'm going to make sure that there's a line by which the redeemer, my son is going to come. So obviously that stood out to me a lot of the, the thrust of the sermon, but I think one of the, the kind of smaller points that stood out to me was the redemption of Naomi. So, you know, Boaz becomes Ruth's kinsman redeemer, but then at the end, it's kind of this fade out scene on not Ruth and Boaz, but Naomi. And I think what's fascinating about that is that uh, they kind of exit the scene as they enter the scene, right? So if you look at Ruth chapter one, it goes, Naomi enters the scene and then Ruth and then in chapter two, Boaz. And then you kind of trail out the opposite order. Boaz leaves first and then Ruth leaves. And then you're left with this kind of final closing scene right before the genealogy and all that beauty uh, in the zoom out towards Jesus with Naomi, with a child in her lap, a redeemer. That God has brought this full circle that you know, Ruth started with her suffering at the losing of her two sons and her husband, and it ends with her arms full with this promised child, uh, a re- 
you know, a, a redeemer, a redemption for Naomi that then uh, through that line, through the line of this child, then comes David, which then comes uh, the line of Jesus. And so I think just for Naomi's story, you know, so much of Ruth is about Naomi learning and finally figuring it out and finally getting it. And I think there's a, a beauty to like this final redemptive act where it's Naomi left with this baby in her arms and the women um, who she, you know, however long ago, seven weeks plus nine months ago in Ruth chapter one was saying, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara because I'm bitter. And now these same women, uh, arguably that she was saying that to uh, a year ago are now saying that she's blessed and holds with her a promise. Uh, I think it's just a beautiful story of redemption. Yeah. And it's, it's beautiful because she did not see the fulfillment of, of that redemptive tale mm-hmm. in her lifetime. Like mm-hmm. it happened generations down the road. I mean, she perceived like the fulfillment of her own longing in that sense immediately, but like the, f- the ultimate fruit that benefited all people she didn't know of, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. What are we diving deep on this last week in Ruth Tim? Yeah, so I think I want to hit a little bit more on uh, the genealogy of Jesus, uh, and so stay with me a little bit. Don't tune out or immediately shut it off. This is this is gonna. There's some good payoff. You mean like here. I do every time I read that like, passage. Like you do every time you read Matthew one, you go. This is a list of names, then you hop over. Cool, it. cool. I think what's <laughs> fascinating is predominantly, especially Matthew. You know, Matthew's written by a Jewish author to a Jewish audience, right? And he includes. Um, predominantly men which but in in ancient jewish genealogies really would have always been men you trace the fathers fathers is what connects people uh, by family line but matthew in particular goes out of his way to include four really interesting women in the genealogy of matthew those four women are tamar rahab ruth and Mary. Now, if you know anything about the backstory, which we're about to talk about, those not only is it interesting or, or unique or, to be honest, kind of strange that he includes women at all, but also the four women that he does include are very particular women. Right. So, you know, the first is he includes Tamar. Tamar, uh, her story is, is found in Genesis 38. And Tamar was the wife of Ur, who was the firstborn child of Judah. So Judah uh, establishes this marriage. He, he sets up, puts together his firstborn son son Ur with uh, Tamar. And in the story, Genesis 38, eventually Ur dies. And there's kind of this whole crazy scene where Ur's uh, second brother, like his the next in line, Onan, is supposed to step in, play the role of kinsman redeemer, give children on behalf of his brother to Tamar. But he doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to father a child for his late brother. And so he doesn't. And he actually ends up dying because of it. The Lord, uh, because of his disobedience, strikes him down. It's a pretty crazy story in Genesis 38. And so you fast forward a little bit. And next thing you know, Judah uh, is like, well, I don't want that to happen again. I'm not going to hand her to the next son, what she's supposed to do. He disobeys the Lord. And so you fast forward a little bit and he's off in the countryside on the hillside. And Tamar, his daughter-in-law, ends up dressing up and disguising herself as a prostitute. She seduces Judah, gets pregnant with twins. And the firstborn of those twins, it's actually a crazy story. The, the first technically the firstborn Perez sticks his arm out and they tie a ribbon to say like, this was the first one out. And then he pulls it back in. He's like, just kidding. His brother's born next. And then Perez is born. And Perez is the great, 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 great grandfather of Boaz. So that's the first inclusion of a woman, a prostitute, right? The second is Ray or someone who dresses up like a prostitute to seduce her father-in-law. That's the first woman that's included in the genealogy of Jesus. The second is Rahab. Rahab's story is in Joshua too. So if you remember the, the, 
the Joshua sends two spies to Canaan to Jericho, in particular the city of Jericho, to spy out the land. Say, hey, figure out what's going on if we can capture the city. And while they're there, they meet Rahab, who hides them from the Canaanite men so that they don't get uh, caught and don't get killed. And she plays this prominent role in the redemptive history of God's people where they're able to then take it over the promised land. Rahab is saved. Rahab eventually ends up marrying Salmon, who is the father of Boaz. So Boaz's father is Rahab, a prostitute. So, so far in the genealogy of Jesus, two of the four women included, one acts like a prostitute and one actually is a prostitute. And then you have Ruth. Ruth, who's a Moabite woman, a foreign woman, a foreigner, a widow whose husband Malon has died, passed away, who then in Ruth chapter three is sent by Naomi to the feet of Boaz, largely in a seduction type role. So she's not great in a lot of ways. She, for the most part, she's a worthy woman, but she does some some interesting stuff. Uh, but as a whole, she's a foreigner. She's an outcast from the family of God. And then the last is the mother of Jesus, Mary, right? Who is a virgin? Who um, you know her her whole story now is clouded with people talking behind her back, like what Mary's betrothed to Joseph, supposed to be a virgin, she's but now she's a pregnant, kid. having a kid. She says it's from the Holy Spirit. Like what is happening? You know, they have to travel as refugees and nomads to Bethlehem. So I think what's so fascinating is one that women are included in the family of God, the genealogy of God. I think there's something about the way that God elevates the role of women, even by the inclusion of from Matthew of women in the genealogy, but also the four women that are included are not uh, Rachel and Leah. It's not uh, Sarah. It's not these kind of patriarchs of the faith or matriarchs of the faith. It's, Someone who acts like a prostitute, someone who is a prostitute, a foreigner, Some of and an outcasted virgin. Characters. And those are the women God includes. And I think there's a beauty there for us. Okay, so what does all that mean? I think there's a beauty there for us to go, these are the people included in the arrival of Jesus as evidence that these are the very types of people that Jesus came for. And so even as we consider, you know, moving into the Advent season, moving into the Christmas season, to be able to look at, okay, if the if the the group of people that Jesus comes from is this. How much more beautiful and broken and sinful is the group of people that Jesus came for? And that being us, sinners, broken, separated from God, that we don't deserve God, we don't want God, we don't um, deserve God, and yet Jesus comes for us, even despite our stories, despite our, our outcastedness, despite our sin, despite our shame, despite whatever we have done, uh, the, the brokenness that Jesus comes from shows the brokenness that he comes for, for sin and for sinners. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, it's a really beautiful picture too, and really fascinating in the sense of like, obviously the men in his lineage had these kind of stories that should be kind of like hyperlinking their experiences too. But we don't really do that when we're reading a patriarchal lineage. It's just like of dad, of dad, of dad, of dad, of dad. And that's kind of just how we would read it pretty passively. You know, it's just like it's almost just like telling me it's almost just telling you where somebody comes from geographically. And that's kind of all that's important about it. But to include this like almost as an aside of like he came from this man who came from this man who came from this man who came from this woman. Do you remember her? <laughs> she like, do you remember everything about her? Um, it's almost like a way just to really kind of jostle our minds and remind us of, of their, their part in the story in particular. Whereas if it was just men over and over again, I think we might grow a little bit numb to the fact that they carry stories with them too. Um, 
Yeah, I think that's really cool. Yeah, and I think what's what's even fascinating about it is you could do a lot of the same tracing with the men as well, right? So you think about uh, David, right, who uh, uses his kingly power to take advantage of a woman, has her husband killed, uh, has a child through her. You think about... Um, you know, Ahaz, who was an evil, wicked king in the sight of the Lord. You think about, uh, you know, Josiah and Jeconiah, who were the kings at the time where they went under exile in Babylon because they re- rebelled against the Lord and turned away from him. So you can you can trace a lot of the same stories, even in the men, too. But I think what's fascinating is is particularly, uh, yeah, like you were saying, the, the women that Matthew does choose to include their stories and then how God redeems uh, broken situations and broken people, even in the midst of getting to his son, that there's generation after generation where honestly men and women try to get in the way and they try to mess things up and they try to uh, rebel against the plans of the Lord and the plan of the Lord continues to move forward. And God continues to uh, write his will, write his story, prosper his people, uh, to work it out such that his son is born in Bethlehem 2000 some years ago. Even the, like the what and the where mattered too. like it worked out this way so that the what and the where happened the way it did too. not just of who, you know? Yeah. I think it's really beautiful. It, it seems really cool, like I said earlier, that we're wrapping up this story of kind of where Jesus came from the week before we start kind of anticipating and remembering the arrival of Jesus. How do you kind of see those two you know, stories of, of Ruth being a part of this line and now obviously the Advent season of, of ending the culmination of Jesus' line with Jesus? How do you see those things kind of playing off one another? Yeah, I think what's what's beautiful about... Advent in particular, right? So we talked about this on Sunday. Advent uh, is just simply the Latin word for arrival or for coming. It's it's been something that churches for over seventeen hundred years have stepped into and practiced. You've uh, we've re- records of Christians as early as you know three hundreds A.D. celebrating. Advent, a season where they look back and remember that, that Christ came, that he first arrived as a baby born to, to Mary in a, a manger in Bethlehem, but also that he's going to come again. He's going to arrive again. He's going to uh, return, not as a baby in a manger, but as a king on a horse, conquering, ruling, reigning, uh, ushering in the new heavens and the new earth. And I think what's fascinating is even as we think about the story of Ruth and how much waiting happened in the story of Ruth or lack thereof in some instances, um, I think it's important for us to put ourselves uh, as much as we're able to into the shoes of those Old Testament Israelites and how long thousands and thousands of years they waited for their promised Messiah. They waited for the one who was to come and then he he came and he arrived and he did what what the prophets foretold that he was going to do. He lived perfectly. He, he died the death uh, that we deserved on the cross. He rose again. He, he fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies, all of the Old Testament law to make us right with God through faith. And so I think being able to go, okay, the story of the people of God has always been one of fulfillment promises, promises, uh, sorry, sorry. the story of the people of God has always been one of promises made and promises fulfilled. That's, that's the, the, the story of God's people, right? Promises made throughout the old Testament, a Messiah is coming, a redeemer is coming prophecies fulfilled in the arrival of that Messiah, the ushering in of the age of the church. And I think as Christians, we always live in this tension of promises made and Trump promises fulfilled. We have evidence, beautiful evidence, the the foundation of our faith in the fact that God made and fulfilled promises in the arrival of Jesus, the coming of Christ to earth, uh, the good news of the gospel, but also we have promises made about the future. 
And so we still live in this already not yet tension. We, we even as post cross followers of Jesus, even as, you know, people that live in the reality of the resurrection on this side of the cross, we still live in the tension of there are some promises made that we're still waiting to be fulfilled. We're still waiting on the Lord's return. We're still waiting on his second coming that is promised. And so because we know God in his faithfulness has made promises before and fulfilled promises before, we know that he is not going to leave promises unfulfilled, that in Christ Jesus, all of the promises of God find their yes and amen, that they will come to completion. And so we are able to look back and remember, no, God, does what he says he's going to do. And so we look forward in anticipation, knowing God is going to do what he said he's going to do. Right. Yeah. I think it's even important to, to tease that out more, to recognize that Ruth is not the last book of the old Testament before Matthew either. Like it's relatively early in the story that we have of the Israelites containing the Bible. There's centuries in between Ruth and Jesus. And we see that in the genealogy as well, too. But, you know, it's like, I think because we're highlighting it this way, it might feel a little bit like, oh, Ruth and Jesus. You know what I mean? It's like, no, no, no. There's, I mean, how many centuries? Was it 12? 1,200 more years. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And they, I mean, Ruth happened not long after, if you follow that Rahab is Boaz's mom, then it happens not long after they enter the promised land, after they conquer Jericho, they still have a whole ton of establishing of kingdoms. The first king hasn't even shown up on the scene. It's still the day of judges, right? First kings, they got to establish Israel and then they got to, you know, get separated Separate, in Northern kingdom, yeah. Southern kingdom. They got to get conquered, get exiled, <laughs> get conquered, exiled, conquered again, exiled again. And then you're, 400 years of silence after all of that happens. And then you get Jesus on the scene. So you got a lot of generations. I mean, Ruth is right kind of after the end of that first group of 14, you got a lot more generations to come after that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really beautiful picture for sure. Cool. Any final thoughts for today, Tim? Yeah, I think uh, in light of all of that and kind of entering into this Advent season, so we have Thanksgiving and then Advent starts uh, this coming Sunday, November 28th. I would just encourage us as a church to press into the Lord. Um, we are doing something for the first time as a church. Honestly, we're just trying it. We don't really know how it's going to go, but we're like, let's just take a shot and see what happens. We're, we're doing this community group Sabbath. It's, it's a, a chance for us to pause as community groups. We're not going to do our regular uh, meetings, whatever night of the week you meet. We've talked about why we're doing this. We want to give our leaders a break, give our, our church a chance to rest. But in conjunction with that, this is not just because we wanted to, this is to help in this regard is we're, we do those Advent guides. And each of those Advent guides has scripture readings for every weekday that coincide with what's preached on Sunday. So this coming Sunday, November 28th, we're preaching on Wonderful Counselor. And then Monday through Friday, the following week, there's going to be ex, there's going to be other biblical texts that are going to center our minds around the idea of Jesus as Wonderful Counselor. And so the goal is, especially as we are separated from our regular group time and that kind of week by week Christian community as a, a chance to rest is not just to rest and fill a night with more TV, not just to rest and fill our, our extra time with, you know, hobbies or, or sports or television or whatever, which none of those are bad things. We, we want to step into those things, whatever, but to step into more time with the Lord. And so as work gets a little bit slower over the holiday season, as you're traveling, as you're spending time with family, as you're outside of your kind of regular day in and day out routines of the holiday season, um, I would just encourage our church, don't get caught up in the busyness of the festivities, but to really set aside time every day to pause with the Lord. Um, if you 
I would just encourage you to spend a little more time than you usually do. So if you usually throughout the year spend, you know, 10, 20 minutes with the Lord, I would just encourage you try for 30, try for 45, just during this holiday season, use those Lectio Divinas, use the scripture readings, uh, press into the Lord during this season as we kind of wrap up 2021, enter into 2022, uh, especially in light of as we're resting, we want to rest, uh, not just to rest, we want to rest in the Lord. That's the goal of the Sabbath. We don't just cease from our work. We actually rest with God and abide with him. So I'll just encourage us during this Advent season, not to pull back from the Lord, not to get too busy for the Lord, but to press further into our walks with Jesus. If you still need an Advent guide, we had them at the gathering yesterday, but we will have them again this coming Sunday as well to pick up for free in the lobby. Also online, citizenscharlotte.com backslash Advent 2021. Advent 2021. Love it. What a gift. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us this time, guys. We will catch you at the next midweek. Have a great week. 